recording. Uh, hi, uh, so again, it's Carrie Johnston and I am uh, joining you today from Haines Junction on the traditional territory of the Champlain and Ajac First Nations. And my guest today is Blair Hogan and Blair's joining us from Whitehorse, Kwanlin Dunn to on Kuchin Council traditional territory. And uh, Blair, could you just tell us a little bit about your business? Yes, thank you so much. Um, my name is Blair Hogan. Uh, I'm the president of Gunta Business Consulting. Um, we're based out of Whitehorse. I'm from Teslin, so I was born and raised in Teslin, Yukon, which is about 180 kilometers south of Whitehorse. And I've been operating my business for the last eight and a half years uh, in the Yukon. And um, also, I participate in the local governance of my community, uh, Teslin uh, Clean Council. So I've been uh, part of the governance, the the leadership of of that, and part of you know the investments, the the investment world that uh, encompasses uh, First Nation development corps and trusts and and uh, those types of investments. So um, it's been it's been interesting um, for sure, and uh, certainly more interesting today. What what's significant about today? Well. Uh, I've, as we were talking, and as everybody has been seeing, we're surrounded with this uh, unique circumstance of, of just not being able to do business the way we typically do business. And um, from a community level, it's been, it's been pretty difficult. Like, um, you know, part of my business as well is uh, community development, community facilitation, um, events. Uh, we, uh, Jesse Stephen with, with Good to Business, we, we've been doing a lot of, uh, uh, community uh, planning and uh, a lot of that work requires audiences requires a lot of people in the same room uh, that has certainly stopped and uh, will not occur uh, under under the current model um, zoom seems to be kind of like this godsend uh, thankfully there's not just zoom I've, I've even noticed that when this all started uh, the Northwest tell uh, teleconferencing service it just gets slammed um, it, it seems like it's the natural government go-to. It's secure. It's a local system, um, and half the time you can't get on your line, your 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 reserve line that you have. And um, so I've I've recognized that even from a community government perspective, who I find governments are notoriously slow at responding to these types of things. Um, typically, not Yukon government, not federal government. Today with COVID, they've actually been very good and responding very quickly. Um, but um, in the way you do business, uh, it's it's certainly been a little bit more difficult. And a lot of the infrastructures, you know, is is kind of set. Like we can't now scale up our bandwidth in our communities just because everybody, you know, even kids, they're all they're all in their homes. They have to receive their lessons lesson plans. Like we have um, our kids from college. They are my stepkids. Uh, they they're home right now. One of them transitioned well. One of them not so well. Um, when you're a baker and you have to have a commercial baking uh, experience, you can't even replicate that at home. Um, and it's hard to transition that to an online platform. So there's, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing in the community, it's going to be very difficult. Like, um, the, you know, kids aren't going back to school, but they have to continue their lesson plans. Are the parents equipped for this? Are the community's infrastructure equipped for this? It's, um, it's going to be interesting. And we're going to have to leverage all technologies like it's you know if everybody goes online we're going to swamp swamp those um avenues so it has to you know there's going to have to be some pretty unique uh applications here of 
layering different technologies together. Um, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. It is. It certainly is interesting time. So, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of your business model is sort of around bringing people together to have big, complex conversations about how we build, uh, whether it's community or how we build sort of energy structures. Um, so, what have you learned about that in your business, right? Like the, these days, where where's your mind cast in how you might solve some of those problems in this place? Um, so my business, so I do a lot of business planning, um, a lot of feasibility studies, uh, economic development, um, uh, research applications. So, you know, business studies, business, uh, business cases, feasibility studies, a lot of times is required before you can kind of move forward with anything. And, um, my business has been really focused on renewable energy, local, uh, energy and, um, working on that very focused, you know, I see that being a really critical step moving forward for everybody. Um, you know, even us on our microcosm, uh, you know, our families, our homes, you know, do we have gardens? Do we have the ability to store uh, colds, uh, you know, uh, without electricity? Are we equipped, you know, with preservation, with um, jars and drying and, you know, um, smoking, you know, these are all the traditional things that uh, people used to do. And it was very common to eat salted uh, food and uh, very common to eat um, uh, food or, or um, uh, smoked food or food stored in, in cold cellars underneath your ground. Um, my grandpa was telling me in Watson Lake that there was a community cold storage and uh, it, it was, you know, d dug deep and right near permafrost patch and people would put uh, as a as a community, they would put their their cold stores uh, together, and then he was telling me about the local ice maker. Right, um, you know, forty years ago, there was uh, somebody who had the capacity, the industrial capacity, to to either uh, store ice. They would uh, harvest the ice in the winter and store it, and then they would bring it out uh, in the summertime with uh, when businesses and other and people needed needed ice. And and you just think how we're taking so many things for granted personally. And then you kind of multiply that out to a community and uh, even cities, right? Our cities where we have blessed infrastructure that's dependent on electricity and it's, it's dependent on the roads and the infrastructure to support it and the supply chains that support them. Uh, how much do we actually do and receive and produce locally? Um, we're going to find out and we are finding out. And I, I see a lot of really great businesses responding to this. A lot of really great businesses that were already positioned, but I see more so people positioning and to support this uh, this local creation. Um, from our from our perspective, my perspective is going to business uh, local energy, and you know um, one of the biggest. Uh, opportunities and, and you know everything we talk about here is a problem but when i see problems i see opportunities that's what we, they taught us in business school that you uh you really need to see problems for the opportunities that that uh they can um bring forward and with us it's you know where are we getting our space heating um our local heat um and a lot of it is coming from Alberta, it's coming from Texas, it's coming from wherever. And when those types of supply channels start to become challenged, if we're gonna start having homes burst pipes, you know, and thankfully we're warming up now, um, hopefully this, uh, you know, this could have been a lot worse. This could have been right in the middle of the coldest season. We could have had um, 
a washout on the road, for instance, could you imagine a washout on the road like we've had a few years ago and people are fighting in the grocery stores for turkeys? Imagine that compounded with COVID-19 pressures. I mean, people are almost fighting for toilet paper right now, or were at least um, when it was, there was a lot more pressure in the grocery, grocery stores. But, you know, and I think also um, we have the blessing of at least seeing this happen elsewhere. And it's kind of this wave rolling forward, rolling forward. And I just remember being in the hospital with my grandpa, who's, uh, who's doing uh, better now, he's at home. But when we were at the hospital, we were seeing that, that front line, that red line. You know, at first it was, pi- it was cones and pylons with the, with the tape. And it was, this is where you need to sit to get tested. And, you know, and then they just shut the hospital right down from visitors. So you can kind of see that line moving in. It was mid, mid-March, towards the end of March, that we really felt uh, the impact here, which, you know, we can benefit now from seeing Italy, from seeing New York, from seeing all these other very impacted places. But what can we do now, right? I, I think that's the question is, you know, what can we do? It seems like a lot of those government funding sources that were really available for energy projects are going to be diverted to business relief, to uh, uh, income relief, um, human resource relief. Um, and that's good. But um, I am sensing that there will be more funding available that is going to focus on these COVID-19, you know, that midterm, um, you know, not just how do we pay the bills today, but how do we make sure that communities have local food in a month, in seven months. Um, We could be living in a whole new world. We don't even know what the post-COVID-19 summer is going to look like. Um, You know, these things could, this could become a new norm. It could become a new uh, new, new annual flu um, that, you know, they, they were doing some um, modeling in, in Ontario and Saskatchewan. And, you know, they're looking at what that looks like for the rest of Canada. And that on a best case, you know, mid, mid case scenario, they think about half the population will be eventually affected, uh, impacted by, by it uh, at the rate of infection across Canada that we can see. And that's, I mean, that's pretty scary, you know, when you think about um, what you do and, and your family and who that could impact more than others. And, um, you know, and, and then when you expand that and think, well, what's going to happen with their food sources? Uh, the grocery stores don't have an indefinite stock to draw from, you know, um, we're going to all have to go back to business, but what is that going to look like? And, you know, I think, having local foods takes the pressure off having the ability to have local energy takes the pressure off uh, electricity is really difficult just because it takes so long to get that in place but we all can become more decentralized right we don't have to put so much enormous pressure on the grid um yeah i live in Whistlebend, and all of our houses here were built with uh, baseboard electricity you know electricity is the primary heat source and, you know, you think about when it starts getting really cold and then in Haynes Junction, a line uh, or ice uh, uh, plug up one of our primary generators, uh, you know, how, what's, what's to guarantee that I'm not going to have burst pipes and flooding and, you know, all kinds of havoc. So th- I think this, you know, in, in some ways this is good. Uh, I think it's forcing a lot of people, businesses, government to put more focus on these things that we like to talk about, we, we like to talk about local energy, local food, food security. Um, 
and there is money that's being put there, but truly what is the, what, what has been the adoption? What has been Yukon government's actual adoption of, um, you know, uh, heat agreements? What has been the government's push in Yukon Energy's, NACO's actual adoption creation of in, independent power producer um, agreements? And, you know, how come we're not seeing all of these energy projects come forward that we've been hearing for, for years and years now? So, you know, I'm, 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 I'm thinking that a lot of people, a lot of governments have had a lot of great ideas. We've all been talking about them. I think now is really a great opportunity to start moving a lot of these things forward and really creating a more robust local economy, creating a robust food sector. Um, and yeah, I mean, everything, everything that we could do together um, can make that happen. Um, from, from good to business perspective, I mean, we're really challenged. Um, I'm stuck at home. I've been stuck at home for three weeks now, as most people have. Uh, a lot, I mean, most Yukoners fr from the, when we've been truly impacted. I think um, we've been really swamped up until end of March. So we're just starting to, you know, starting to see what we have to do now internally to kind of renew our own business model. Um, how do we become more of a practical tool uh, for Yukon, for businesses, for our current clients? You know, a lot of our clients are government. Uh, we work with a lot of governments and First Nation Development Corps and, and uh, large businesses. But, you know, we're just trying to um, organize ourselves to become more useful. Uh, and, you know, maybe this is something to just kind of put out there. But you got to think about all these First Nation governments, these development corps, um, you know, these large enterprises, both government, nonprofit, uh, as well as public, and they have a job to do. They all have many jobs to do. But now business is impacted. And like I said, we're not all properly built for this transition. So the contractor community is really going to have to step up uh, to fill in that void. And there's a lot of monies on the table with a lot of these entities that if they don't spend that money, it, it goes away. And a lot of that money is required. You know, it's health, social, it's um, recreation, it's all these things that now have been impacted, but are still important. So, you know, it's, it's going to be some real uh, trial and error. But I think you know, this business community that I represent, that I'm part of, um, this independent contractor community. And, you know, you see Yukon government, you see uh, Yukon College, um, uh, my colleagues uh, at Outfront, they're working on different ways to uh, harness some of that capacity. And I think that's great. Um, but I, I think, you know, and Michael Pilo and I were talking about this, that we would be in a lot better position uh, right now if we had a community business um counseling service uh that we had previous like you know years years past we had the e-commerce project where um we had independent consultants like myself that have a uh, business background we were working with a number of communities a free service uh supplied by uh, uh funded by the government but it allowed local business supports in the communities to really kind of work through those pain points that they have how do they have access to market are they utilizing all the business tools? Do they understand financing? You know, uh, do they understand their own business operations? How do we, how do we move that forward? And now uh, where people can't leave the communities, what support are they going to get? 
um, when we have issues with internet and we're, we're going to have connectivity issues, certainly when everybody uh, in the school system flocks to the internet, we're going to really be um, struggling. So it's, it's, it is tough that we don't have that level of support in the communities right now for businesses, but, um, and then internet being the great, uh, the great leveler uh, is not going to be as useful when everybody is online and, and already I'm sure the communities are struggling because everybody's home, they're watching their Netflix, they're online to a huge degree. Northwest Tel has opened up some data requirements for communities more so in the, in the, in the main centers. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be challenging, but I think all of us uh, as Yukoners, as businesses, we have to be just a little bit more adaptable and, you know, I, I don't know all, I don't know the, the, the answer, uh, but, it's just about um, doing your business a little bit differently, right? Everybody. And then I think opening ourselves up to be m more available to those types of clients that we wouldn't have typically been, you know, if you, if you're not typically working for uh, a not-for-profit, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a different time. Uh, our rates are going to be changing. You know, people don't have the ability to pay a lot of the high rates required for some of the experts out there. Um, it's, you know, a lot of that has been built around an economy that is not going to be the economy we're going to get used to. So there's, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be challenging. Um, it's going to be different for us as well. I think, yeah, you've, you've brought up a number of really good points. I kind of want to go back to a few of the things that you said. Um, I recall when I was first here in the territory, I was part of um, some strategic opportunities at UConn College. And one of the elders there sort of said, you know, here in the territory, we have this benefit of seeing what happens down south first and then watching it roll its way into the territory. And I think we are uh, uniquely positioned right now uh, to be able to see the extent of the pandemic in other jurisdictions and being mindful of how we're sort of changing what we do to, to be ready for, for that as and when and, and if it comes to the territory. So. And then you kind of segued into that and talking about the resource, um, the resourcefulness of Yukoners and talking about the old ice blocks and how there was a lot more self-sufficiency, especially in rural Yukon. And I think, um, you know, when you bring that in on, on conversations about energy and food production and, you know, there's part of my mind that does go towards um, the draft climate change strategy that the territory had produced. And, and really that conversation that's in there about building um, adaptation plans for rural Yukon and Yukon as a whole and, and those key concepts of how do we heat our buildings? How do we provide energy for ourselves? How do we feed ourselves? And I think, you know, in, in this time, there's that opportunity for us to build those shovel-ready projects to kind of do that, that intellectual work, that work that needs to be done. Somebody coming into your room behind you. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, It's all part of the fun of filming these things at home, right? Yeah. My five-year-old's wondering where I've been for the last 30 minutes. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so, and then also, you know, how we get creative as businesses who facilitate those sort of shovel-ready projects and, and build the community support around them, you know, how we, how we engage in really different ways and how we sort of get the collective um, mind thinking around some of these issues. Um, 
I kind of wanted to throw it just a little bit sideways and just I was wondering if you could talk to me a little bit about sort of where your where your wellness practice is. How are you kind of staying grounded through all of this as a business owner who's got to be making big decisions and thinking about these big, complex, system-wide things? So what are some of the things that you're finding healing and strength in? Yeah, I mean, on a personal level, it's just been so rewarding to be home with my son that I've been too busy to properly engaged with all the time, you know, and, and uh, not, not all the time, but it's been challenging, certainly in this uh, first quarter of this year, which was very busy for us. Um, we had a lot of commitments we had to uh, fulfill before the end of April, which is a, a lot of our clients end of their fiscal. Mm-hmm. And, um, but just being home, you know, uh, my wife and I, we both work with the same business. So I think that's a bit of a unique challenge as well, that we kind of have to figure out how are we going to, you know, um, properly tend to our son and educate him and interact with him on a level that is really fulfilling for him and us, uh, as well as how do you maintain the house? And, and we have um, teenagers at home. And I think a lot of people understand how helpful teenagers can be sometimes uh, as, and unhelpful at other times. So, I mean, that, that brings its unique challenges. But, um, you know, I think it's just been really nice to see uh, people are understanding the value of community. Um, people are starting to see, hey, you know, we're stronger together than individually. Like, it's just been so weird uh, how society has shifted to so individualistic. Um, you know, it's it's not uncommon to go downtown, um, not in Whitehorse, but like in the bigger cities, and people just do not communicate with each other. There's no person-to-person interaction. It's not quite as obvious in Whitehorse. It's still, we're small enough, we still see people. And then communities, you know, it's, it's kind of strange, and you would know this as well. Um, going into community, it's pretty, you know, you have to, you wave to everybody you see. And then uh, uh, as you leave the community, uh, you know, it's hard to turn that off. And you're waving to people who think, wow, this, who's this weirdo who's waving at me? And it's, I, it's, I can't tell you the you number know, of times then, I've been and then in you go like, back to the community. Yeah. And then they're like, why aren't you waving at me? Oh, I can't tell you the number of times I've been in Calgary. I'm like, I'm waving at people while I'm driving in Calgary. Or, yeah. Just the nicest Canadian in Calgary, that's for sure. Exactly. Um, so in that regard, it, it's, this is a powerful moment for society, you know, in that our relationships, our personal relationships that we haven't been um, spending enough time with. It's a real opportunity to do that. I've... I'm starting to tackle home projects that have been sitting there waiting for me to tackle for, I don't even want to tell you how long. Um, Some of them are very long time. And um, I think that part of it's good, but um, I mean, I I would love to hear your, what, what your thoughts are, but we're going all all very stir crazy. And Yukon has just said that they're restricting outdoor activities and you know, that's been okay for the first few weeks, but now it's starting to get really nice out. And I think that's going to become a huge obstacle, um, you know, with, um, and then even my, my office space, it's a, it's a collaborative workspace. Uh, the Northlight, uh, uh, the Northlight center, the, the, the hub, the innovation hub. And, you know, like how, how are those types of environments going to work um, going forward? Uh, it's, it's certainly going to be impacted, but um yeah, from that community perspective, though, I think I think there's some pretty powerful aspects of what's happening 
that is going to kind of reground people whether they want to or not. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't ready to be grounded the way I've been grounded and, you know, grounded almost like in a teenage go to your room, your grounded sense, but also in a, you know, this is, this is probably good for me. And um, yeah. And just um, really all we have right now is just going for walks. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, and, and then the dogs get more action than anybody really. Right. They, there's no social distancing with dogs that they're, they're smelling and chewing and chasing anything they they can get get close to but um yeah no and and i had a, a friend visit yesterday for the first time in a while and we we got to hang out with a within two meters so that yeah uh, that was the highlight you know i um so but I, how you stay grounded I, i'm very interested oh you know it actually yesterday was one of those funny days where i felt like not grounded at all and part of it was because i went through what i was describing is like this daisy chain of zoom meetings i went from one to the next to the next to the next and and when i wasn't in a zoom meeting i was like all hands on deck with my 14 month old um who in, joined me in a couple of zoom meetings because i wasn't able to schedule them during her nap time so um and so that i i've been kind of framing it like i have these guardrails on my days and that is i, I do a little bit of stretching or yoga or something like that just to kind of keep my um, my, my mind in a meditative state and, uh, and I go for a walk, like I got to get outside. And yesterday was the first day that I had neither of those things. And I felt it. I just felt this like pent up energy in my body that was like, where is this going? And why haven't you released it? Because I was so focused on this screen and, and I was mindful of like, you know, whether I'm at home or I was in the office before I would do that. I would sit in front of my screen and eat lunch, you know, working away at my computer and doing all this stuff and how damaging that probably has been to my, to my mind and to my body over time. And just for whatever it was, um, it became really clear to me yesterday. So I guess it's, I just been trying to frame it in these guardrails. What are the things that I need to do? Drink water, you know, just like, what are these like really core values of, of who I am? Um, and yeah, and, and just like, you know, work on my relationship with my husband and my daughter right. and like those yeah. sorts of things where like, cause you're just here, you're just in this really small space and you got to, and I think we're really fortunate, you know, I'm, I feel very blessed to live here and have so much space and to have the great outdoors so close so that these walks are a real gift. And I'm, I'm grateful for them because I'm mindful that I have friends who live back in Toronto who don't have the ability to go for these nice long walks in this mm -hmm clean fresh mountain air and so I'm, I'm very grateful for for that mm -hmm. yeah thanks for asking yeah. yeah um so i think like have you had any major sort of aha moments about the territory in this time like i know you do like to think big you're a big big systems thinker and um you were working on a lot of really big energy specific projects um so is anything is anything coalescing anything because we're we're in um we're in a paradigm shift right like we're all in this space where this the world as we once knew it isn't anymore and we're we're sort of like headed in a slightly different direction so any thoughts around that for you million dollar the 36 billion dollar question i'm sure you know what no real ahas other than um, it's just, I mean, so even like my, my parents, uh, um, you know, trying to, um, 
communicate with them about, hey, you know, there's uh, Google Hangouts and Skype and, you know, everybody who's so used to the way they do things, it's hard to change. It's hard to um, adapt. And I think that's going to be, you know, and just I'm using my parents as an example of my own pressure that I have to deal with and trying to get them to these, these uh, different ways of communicating. But that's kind of a, a case study of how, how are we going to change how everybody operates? And, um, you know, and I don't have an, I don't have an, um, but I, I just, I do recognize the challenge that we have and, um, you know, like it's just going to be so interesting seeing the world of the future, you know, like I, I just don't see us hugging people the way we used to hug and shake everybody's hand. And, you know, I, oh, I don't mind uh, holding the banister down the mall. Um, you know, I think, there's going to be a certain germaphobe or at least a germ awareness that is going to be prevalent that hasn't been there before. That's going to change the way people interact. Um, you know, like at Gunta Business, we're really happy. We're very proud of the fact that we have some of the community engagement records of 200 plus people showing up to event. Will that ever happen again? Is that even something to brag about? <laughs> you know? People that, oh, we had 200 people show up for an event. You, you should be locked up. You know? Wow. Uh, oh, it, it changes. I mean, it totally, isn't that such a radical example of, you know, from, wow, wow, congratulations. Like, I can't believe you can, you did that in such a time of, of difficulty with engagement on these types of public issues to, um, you know, I was talking to a friend who had a sliding party uh, and it was his family of six and then three more showed up and one more and then it's a crime, you know, like <laughs> it's, yeah, it's chargeable. It's, it's just crazy, you know, and how soon will that change? You know, like it's, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't want to start speculating on how crazy this could get, but you know, there's, there's no, there's no, there's nobody out there saying that there's no reinfection circle, uh, you know, that'll happen again and again, like it might not ever go away. Um, so we may be dealing with, a new reality forever. And, um, and you know, it's, it's one thing to say, how is my business going to change in the next three to six months for the next three to six months? But it's another thing to say, how is my business going to change now in the next three weeks for the next 25 plus years? Mm -hmm. I think the level of adaptability on everybody is, is, is going to be such a high requirement. And, um, I just, yeah, I mean, everybody's going to have to change. It's just, it's been so funny, like even, because I'm a young person in some of these old systems, like, you know, I've, uh, like you, I'm on a council, right? And I'm one of the younger people on my council and, you know, a lot of, you know, and, and just trying to even get those people in those systems to start doing things a little differently has been very, you know, they still want to use the Northwest Tell call-in line. I can't get on half of the meetings now. Uh, and that's just accepted. It's just the new reality. But, you know, really, well, we could be using Zoom. We could be using Skype. Skype's got a – Skype just rolled out a new um, uh, Zoom uh, uh, um, competitor uh, app. So it's um, everybody meet on Zoom. Uh, Google Hangouts. Um, and I'm not sure about Facebook. I know Facebook has, has got the meet technology, but to really bring people together. And then, and then, you know, then you layer on top of that, oh, we can go to all these trusted systems. Oh, they're not trusted. Zoom 
uh, affects your privacy, right? And anyway, it's it's just another. It's like it's, it has been interesting. We've you know putting my counselor hat on. We we did adopt Zoom uh, right out the gate as as like the, the best option for us because we wanted to be able to have um, our council meetings in public and make them as accessible as possible. And so the ability for people to call in using their phone or to, to, to use their computer or whatever piece of technology they have to, to, to time in and, and be there. I mean, the benefit for us is that our meetings are public. So, um, great. Like we get them out there. And so some of the questions about uh, whether it's encrypted well enough or not, it's fine because the whole intent of our it's meetings public, at a yeah. municipal, municipal space is for them to be as public as possible. And, you know, and I, and I, for me, I just keep continue to think about those things are what are the guardrails? What are the principles? What are the values that we want to bring to all the decisions that we're making right now? And how do we ensure that those things are there public access to what we do? And, and um, it, it's so important right now. So we, we were quick to adopt it, and there's certainly lots of challenges that come with it, but it's, um, but it is what it is, and it's sort of like we can't look backwards. And I always joke because with with my council, one of the things I said was I want to. One of my goals as a politician was to live stream our council meetings, and so like here we are in the age of COVID. Good for you. We've got to do that, and and I think that's you know maybe that that is part of it for our, for innovators, for business owners, for people out there in the spaces like. What is on your bucket list? What has seemed like the impossible goal, the impossible thing to do? Um, and then let's figure out how to move those things forward because uh, you know this is all of our this is our first pandemic. We've never done this before. We're we're in a space where we feel like we're like jumping off this cliff of the unknown that we as entrepreneurs often face. Like we're when when we're being entrepreneurs, we're moving into a space that that is unknown and that's what makes us entrepreneurs is our ability to see the opportunity to to jump off the cliff and to to do what seems impossible to many and that's i mean that's what always inspires me about the work that you do is is um taking the thing that's been so hard uh, in the territory to look at things like biomass to look at energy production to look at those things and say well here is the impossible but here is a pathway forward so I mean, absolutely right, and it's we are inundated with positive examples to look upon, and it's just you know people like us to bring these things forward, right? Like uh, a new way of communicating that's very transparent to your council. Um, you know, but it's, it's not, not just us. This has always been the Yukon, right? Like, and we began this conversation by talking about the resourcefulness of the Yukon, and I think that's like one of the things that I've been thinking a lot lately about Yukon is like resourcefulness is the precursor to innovation. And we're so good at being resourceful up here, right? Like we already know how to do so many of these things. Yeah, and nothing like a monumental issue to really engage our resourcefulness is to be innovative, right? You know, I think, I think uh, and, and, I, and you, you, were, you were asking me kind of, what am I reading right now? And I did pull out a book uh, that I've been meaning to get in, involved with, but it's called uh, Startup Nation. And it's a case study on Israel. Why is Israel um, so successful on the business side? Like, why is there so many startups? Why are, why are they breaking all of, the, um, all of the basic understandings of how business success stories roll out? You know, that three to five years and that, you know, that lowering success rate of, of moving a business to fruition. They, you know, they have huge success. And a lot of it is because 
they all have a uniform experience, like a lot of citizens that have been born and raised in Israel. And that was that they had to do military service. They, they were, they had required military service and um, a lot of, you know, and, and there's a lot of different things too. There's this, uh, this, um, reignition into their culture into their language like the hebrew language was dead you know not not that you know 60 80 100 years ago and it's totally been reborn into a main language in many places but i, I just find and the reason why i bring this forward is that we're kind of not military service but we're all going through a uniform situation right now we're going through this massive realignment of reality this pandemic and i predict that we're gonna have more businesses um, come alive and prosper and businesses take necessary steps to address some of the fundamental issues that they've been experiencing, that they've been ignoring because in profitable times, it's just easier to ignore a lot of these issues. So we're gonna see, we're gonna see a lot of businesses go out of business and maybe a lot of those, it's important that they did go out of business. But those that really hold on are going to adapt and change. We're going to see some very interesting startups come come about that have been talked about for a long time. That maybe the maybe the, the circumstances weren't quite there. But I think across the board, we're going to see a larger than usual uptick in business startups uh, and successful operation. And I'm just reading this book right now because even though it's not a pandemic, it's a once in a hundred year pandemic. So there's no real time uh, modern examples to deal with, but you can start looking at things at how they impact, you know, and, and how, how can a universal impact change the thinking of a whole, not in our case nation, but a world. And um, that, that is a book that I'm reading right now. That's a great recommendation. I haven't read it, so I'll pick it up. Um, thanks. Thanks for this. This has been a broad-reaching conversation, as they always are with you, which is why I, I love whenever we get together at those public gatherings and we get a chance to sort of meet minds. So, uh, so thank you for your time today. And thank you so much for inviting me to this. This is great what you're doing. I'm looking forward to all of your interviews. You are really good at this. Uh, you're somebody that I certainly feel very able to open up with. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think you have a very strong skill for this. So uh, I encourage you to keep up this great work. And thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to do it. And I think uh, there are so many great thought leaders and so many great innovators and so many resourceful people here in the territory. So um, it's, it's my pleasure. Thanks. Great. Thank you so much.